What is going on? We are back here with the Video Life Podcast, and man, have I been, we've done some episodes, but this is the one I've really been waiting on. I mean, it's not like I don't see this guy every week, but we're pretty proud. Pretty much, yeah. right? But the thing, but we have, so here's, and we talk about uh, business and training and all types of stuff all the time, but then this past week, we were having a, a conversation about metabolic optimization, and um, you know, this dude's a geek, I'm a geek, and it just went for hours, and I was just like, yo, we gotta talk about this, and he's, you know, Joel's also working on some stuff that's extremely exciting, but I think that, not I think, I, I know that this episode, there's gonna be some mind blowings, there's gonna be some like, going on here. That's right. I'm 100% sure. Yeah, I'm 100, like, cause I geek out on stuff, and the things that you were talking about on, um, on Sunday, I was like, ooh, I gotta dig deeper on this. But like, let's start with, okay, so, this is all about, metabolic optimization and uh number one i we said like most people just don't even know like what is metabolism like, yeah, what, exactly. right i think that's where you gotta start right yeah because it makes sense like, i'm gonna prove my something something until you know what you're actually correct talking so about. With the <clears throat> thousand foot view let's, yeah, let's start yeah. there i would say this is really the the deeper you go into this area of things the more interesting training and fitness and health and longevity all become because you realize the underlying connected piece of all of this is your metabolism so what is that? Well, if you ask most people, they'll say, oh, it's, you know, I burned 800 calories a day or 2,000 calories a day or whatever. That's my metabolism is, is this calorie generation or calorie burning, right? Like they know it's the energy that their bodies generate from the food, but that's really just one piece of it, okay? It, it's actually, we can look at the bigger picture. It's, it's everything that happens within your body that takes the food that you eat and turns it into you. And that is literally what's happening. We eat food, our body breaks it down into energy and then it uses that energy to create us, to create proteins, to build our cells, basically to build us. So metabolism is really that process. It's the energy transfer from food into people. And that means we can't just talk about how many calories we burned, we have to talk about what we did with them and how our metabolic systems work to go through that process. And that's where all of the optimization comes in because there's infinite ways that we can adapt, right? And the other thing we have to understand is what is metabolism for, right? Like obviously we need the energy, but really it serves two huge things. One, it just, it keeps you alive. Your, your, your cells run on energy, without energy, you are dead. And, and literally the only thing that separates someone who's alive from someone who's dead is the transfer of energy, right? A corpse has all the same physiology as you do, same biology, same parts, but the reason that it's not alive is because there's no energy transfer. Hmm. So obviously metabolism is about energy, but Secondly, the only way that it can keep you alive is to be constantly adapting to your environment. And that is a huge piece of where the energy has to go. So whatever stress you're in or under, whatever environment you're in, your body is constantly sensing that environment through these different pathways and different sensing molecules and, and communication tools or pathways. And then it's adapting to the environment. And that's what fitness is. It's, a, it's imposing a certain environment in our cells and our body and then allowing it to adapt to that. So our metabolism, you know, when we look at through that lens, that context, it's everything to health, fitness, wellness, performance. It's the whole nine yards. Because that, that's not what people think about. No, they, they, they don't. The, the question, that, or should I say, things, things that people bring up is like, I want to improve my metabolism. My metabolism is slow. Yeah, they, exactly. Like they the just think about like speed, right? All yeah. I think of is, is calories out. Like how many calories would I you know, burn that workout? Mm -hmm. How many calories I burn a day? Even just this idea that if you burn more calories, you're going to lose more weight isn't actually true. Like the research, and if people want to dig into this, uh, Dr. Herman Ponzer's book is, yeah, is right. really good in that area. Yeah. And kind of one of the things he talks about is research actually shows that people with higher metabolisms 
aren't necessarily more likely to be leaner mm -hmm. and people with slower metabolisms aren't necessarily likely to be more overweight or more or have higher body weights it, it's just a fact of if you have a higher metabolism you will be naturally inclined to eat a bit more food if you have a slower metabolism metabolism you'll be a bit inclined to eat less food so the idea that you're just going to speed your metabolism up and instantly it's going to solve all your metabolic problems and no. it's going to it's optimization is not just speed and, and the, the 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 funny thing is if you look at longevity research there's actually more metabolic advantage to kind of slowing things down from a longevity health plan perspective than speeding things up. Could, uh, we can get into that, but yeah, because we'll dive into that, you know, which is the whole. It's also a conversation about more muscle, less muscle. Sure, absolutely, all, all of that stuff. But what, because of the, I, you know, putting you on 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 the spot, and I, I know you didn't necessarily like write these out, but like, uh, you know, what are some and one of the myths you mentioned? But what are some myths about like when people, you know, just in general, even in in, uh, in media or you know blogs or IG or whatever, what are some myths about metabolism? Like one of them is definitely like, oh well, if you burn more calories, that's the goal and that's going to keep you healthier, fitter, yeah. leaner, right? Obviously, that's not one, but but what's, what are some? Yeah, look, I, think, I, think, I think that's obviously a big one. Yeah. But then I think the other one is just the idea that the more you move, the more energy you're always going to expend. Mm -hmm. And this is another thing from Dr. Ponder's research. You know, we we intuitively think like if we look at our tracker and it says we went twenty thousand steps a day. That means that we bust to burn way more calories than if we only went 5,000 steps or 10,000 steps. So we have this idea in our head of what's called the linear or the additive model of mm -hmm. metabolic function, meaning the further we go, the more energy we expend in our activity, the more calories we burn in a day. But that's not actually how it works because there are limits to metabolism. There are limits to how much energy your body can create in a day over time and sustain. And really what happens when you start to exceed those limits, which you can do for only short periods of time, your body just redirects energy into other areas. It doesn't uh, massively increase your metabolic potential by fivefold just because you walked five times more than you did yesterday. It'll just take energy away from other areas. And so we have this, I think, mistaken idea that like the workout is the biggest energetic thing, but it's mostly just the amount of calories your body needs at baseline, like right? Like yeah, just yeah. your basic metabolic rate, the energy it takes to survive is the core piece. Everything else is flexible, right? So. Yeah, if you go burn five or six hundred calories in a workout, that's you know a fair amount. But there's still all these other things that are always happening, and it can adjust where it expends that, and it can choose to expend it on things like building muscle or building immunity or reproductive function, or it can choose to not. Those are energy-intensive, long-term projects, mm -hmm. right? Or it can say, no, 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 I'm I expended all this energy being active today. I'm just going to take it away from immune function. I'm going to take it away from reproductive function and all these different cellular processes. The body has a choice, and yeah. you know the first thing when you overtrain, sex drive goes down. Why? Because your reproductive function gets shut down. The body decides decides to reallocate resources to meet those activity needs and take it away from other areas. Because survival's first. Survival's always yeah, first. Yeah, so it's right? not so, like you're 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 six pack and being jacked. No, like, like I said, metabolism is designed to keep you alive and yeah. adapt to your environment. Yeah. That's just number one priority, and it's also short sighted, right? It's mm -hmm. it's not too worried about. You're going to get atherosclerosis and die from heart attack 20 years from now. It doesn't yeah. care if you don't survive now. 20 years is irrelevant. Like I have to find whole So you have to now. survive now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this actually brings us to a really important point that I think people uh, often overlook and it ties into what I want to talk about is there's been a big focus on intermittent fasting, caloric restriction, right? And there's a focus on those things because in the research, you know, they look at how do we improve life extension mm -hmm. and, and health span. And the number one thing that kind of crosses lots of species and lots of tests, um, not as much as humans yet, but lots of other ones, is caloric restriction. Like this lifelong restriction 
of how many calories the animals eat. And when you restrict that by a fairly significant number, usually 25, 30%, they live longer. Like almost universally, animals live longer when you restrict their caloric intake, mm -hmm. right? So why would that be? Well, basically what it comes down to without getting all the, the signs, which is still being unraveled, we are designed to survive these periods where we have less nutrients and less calories by activating these genetic pathways around cellular resistance and the ability to uh, increase your tolerance and increase your survivability. And why would that be? Or I started thinking about it. So I hate to throw out the evolutionary kind of like ancestral side yeah, of things, yeah. I guess it's yeah. overused. <laughs> but if you think about how our species evolved, we went through periods where we had lots of nutrient supply, we had food availability, and then we didn't. Mm -hmm. Then we had famines or we had food that was much more scarce. So you went through these periods where when food was available, you wanted to eat it and you wanted to store it, right? And then you had periods where a lot less food was available. And if you couldn't survive that span with reduced nutrients available, reduced food, you would die out, your, your genes would die out. So I'd say there was selective pressure, meaning evolution selected for the people who could store nutrients when they were available and then survive periods when they you know, were much more scarce and less abundant. So we're designed kind of on this model of when there's less nutrient, our cells are designed to hunker down and survive. And there's these pathways, the sirtuins, which have got some uh, some press lately from like people like Dr. David Sinclair. There's different things that happen in our mitochondria and how it becomes much more efficient. Basically what we see is we just, our metabolisms become much more efficient mm -hmm. and we can produce the same amount of ATP with less oxygen. So we're, we become more thrifty and we become more hardy, we become more resilient and our cells become able to survive longer. And so those pathways are being activated by lots of different things, but ultimately it's this signaling that is a big part of why we're seeing things like intermittent fasting, caloric restriction, heat, cold, all these different things are ways to put the stress on the cells in manner that can lead to better resistance and longevity. So, I mean, a couple of things, because we're going to get to kind of like the model in each, yeah, yeah. each pocket, and I really want to dive into those. But, you know, because now we have a, a lot of, too, like from surveys to where things are going, you see this whole, like, man, longevity, health, mm -hmm. but, you know, the intersection. So there's folks that are like, well, listen, I, I want to have good performance and build muscle and be lean, but I also want to, you know, have health and longevity. So, one, you know, are you always giving up something? You know, what what is the... Kind of like if there's an optimal way to have it all, right? Like, sure. uh, I mean, there's always some give and take, obviously, right? Like, you know, think extremes of sport, endurance, athletes, bodybuilding, whatever it may be. But, you know, for a person that's like, hey, look, man, like, I want to be muscular, I want to look good, I want to have the performance, but I also want, like, I want to live as long as possible, be healthy, and now, you know, next thing that comes up, I don't want to get sick. Is there a give and take? Do you sure. know what I mean? And how well, and how much give and take is there? Yeah, like I, I think it depends on the extreme ends, right? Like if I was to say I just want to optimize purely for longevity, that'd be a very different approach. You said I want to optimize to go play in the NFL, right? Yeah, yeah. Like if you're willing to push performance to the fringes of what the human body can do, you're probably likely going to have some negative impact yeah, yeah, on longevity. Sure. Likewise, like if we were to take all the stuff that we're kind of seeing that like far extremes of longevity, like I said, caloric restriction being kind of number one, you probably could do it, but you probably wouldn't enjoy the process yes. of not eating the heat. You know, and then that's like a big thing. All these other things. Exactly. So, but the reality is most people don't live in that world, right? Most yeah. people are not on the extreme. Like you said, they want to look good, but more important than that, they want to feel healthy and they want to be healthy and they want to slow down the aging process. And to that aim, you know, it's not about a trade-off, it's about having the right foundation. And so the way I started to look at this and 
and just think of this framework is like we have this core, this nucleus of what that looks like that is metabolic function. Why? Because again, metabolism is everything from the energy we live on to the energy we adapt our environment on. And that adaptation is the adaptation to train. It literally is everything. It's our immune function, it's how we feel, it's our ability to cope with the stress of the environment, it's our ability to build muscle. There's, there's evidence now showing that as we age, part of the reason we might lose muscle, which people talk about all the time, isn't because of lack of strength training per se, as much as it is our mitochondrial function, our mitochondrial capacity decreases. Well, where do you think the muscle energy comes from, the energy to grow muscle and sustain muscle? That energy comes from mitochondria. Yeah, yeah. And mitochondria are really something that we should talk about because they are the ultimate regulators of where the energy gets distributed and how much it gets distributed. And as we age, we lose a significant amount of it. And our research suggests somewhere between 40 and 50% loss between 20 and 40, and then another 40 to 50% loss from that between 40 and 70, right? So if you're losing this big metabolic machinery, that doesn't mean your metabolism is slowing down per se, it means it's working much less efficiently mm -hmm. and it's not able to do what it used to do. So if we're losing muscle mass because our metabolism is not able to do the job it used to, you have to start there, right? It's, it's met, metabolism is a driver of muscle mass and the driver of all of this. So rather than looking like, oh, I'm gonna build strength, it, yeah, this is you actually, have to start with metabolic function. So this this is a great point because we talked about this and um, that folks, and, and there's a lot of arguments online about this. All you gotta do yeah, lift is weights, strength right? train, you know, lift weights, and maybe do some walking, walking's great for yeah. you. But you know your argument. It's not even an argument of like my opinion. It's I mean this is this is based on yeah. Science I, mean, it's based on, I think again we we tend to get arguments over modalities like oh strength training is the best or intervals or high intensity right there's there's these different debates about modalities. But again, it comes back to what is the big picture. The big picture is if your metabolic system is not producing the energy that you need to to adapt to your environment, you get sicker because it doesn't have the energy to adapt to pathogens that you are exposed to, or if you are sick it takes longer to recover from that when we go work out it takes longer for our bodies to recover and be able to rebuild the tissues we're going to put less energy into muscle building because we don't have it we're just focused on survival we're going to have all these declines in our potential to move and be active if that metabolism isn't highly functioning and aging in really any capacity is just this progressive decline in our metabolic function throughout our lives and obviously it it, it doesn't start accelerate until our, our you know, 20s, 30s, and 40s and beyond. Uh, but it is this is progressive loss of metabolic activity that drives everything. So you have to start there. So then if we look at that, right, we kind of look at foundation, look at two things. Essentially, mitochondria is such an important thing. One, like how do we either prevent that amount of loss sure. or maybe even rebuild it? Well, yeah, and then, and then two, metabolism, right? How do we improve it to where it helps every, so whatever your goal is, my, hey, I want to run faster and have better, Conditioning. I want to, you know, build even build more muscle. Like you need that engine. So, you know, those two addressing those two pockets. You know, how do we, you know, what is the research behind building mitochondria? What is how do we improve, you know, metabolism as you speak about it now? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, let's back up one second. So, if we if we accept that metabolic function as at its core is the nucleus of fitness, wellness, performance, longevity, which it is, then I would say we take a step out of that circle and out of that nucleus. The next that is movement, right? Like energy at the end of the day, aside from survival, is movement. And movement is the core thing we want our metabolisms to propel us to do because if we don't move, we decline anyway, yeah. right? Yeah. So you have this nucleus of metabolic function and then we can say movement and then we can kind of get outward to strength and power, which is just movement against higher resistances, higher resistances, you know, greater force, greater power is the external amplification of movement, yeah. right? So 
if we look at that layer, right, we can shift people depending on where their goals are exactly. So if someone says, you know, I want to be able to run 100 meters in 10 seconds, like obviously we're going to optimize metabolism in a way that's different than somebody who wants to run marathons. Yeah. But at the end yeah. of the day, that three-layer system doesn't change. Mm -hmm. Like I don't care how much strength and power you can generate, if your metabolic function's not there, you're not going to be able to recover, you're not going to have the training load, you're going to get sick, you're going to get injured, because energy has to drive the entire process. Yeah. So because of that, like I said, we have to go back to the core pieces of metabolism and in that sense, mitochondria are everything. And so this is a long discussion where you could get really deep in the weeds and I'm still doing that myself, uh, but mitochondria are much more than people have ever been aware of, most people think of. So if you kind of ask most people, even coaches, trainers, you know, whatever, fitness professionals or people, you know, average people like, what do mitochondria do? They, oh, it's the, it's the powerhouse, right? It's okay. It is the powerhouse because it is where the majority of ATP gets generated and other energetic molecules. But more than that, it is the stress mediator of the entire body. It is the first to be aware of what the nutrient needs of that cell are, and it coordinates that response by coordinating and directing energy. Mm -hmm. And it basically can do two things. Uh, it can hunker down, like I said, when nutrients are less dense and, and there's more scarcity, and it can signal the cells through different pathways. Uh, to basically to do that, to become more energy efficient. It communicates with the nucleus of the cell to express and repress uh, different genes and turn our genes on or off. It signals throughout the body by releasing its, its mitochondrial DNA. It does a lot of things with immune function and powers that. And I mean, it is not just in muscle fibers, which we kind of have this idea. Yeah, yeah. It's in every cell, right? And you have copy of a thousand, in some cells you have a hundred, between a hundred and a thousand mitochondria. In most cells, you have thousands upon thousands of mitochondria in your heart cells. So they can make up to about 10% of your body weight, right? Which so, is, which is kind of huge. Also, this is yeah. where this dex, the sex steroids, testosterone and androgens, uh, estrogen are, are produced. It's where the catecholamines, like adrenaline, noradrenaline, it's where glucocorticoids, cortisol are produced. So it's also the growth center of metabolism because when nutrients are in abundance, when you have enough, it it's also senses direct. that yeah. and it's going to direct nutrients towards those things, towards growth, right? So the more, it can do that, the more it says, hey, I've got plenty of energy here, let's grow, the more that's gonna happen. So if you've got poorly functioning mitochondria, you're compromising the growth part of our health. Yeah, and even it's not just not just like strength growth, but just growth and reproductive, yeah. everything, right? But that's but it, but the thing is what would have I think this is important because it's almost I always go like, you know, what you put in the bank account, right? There's a lot of folks there like doing a lot of work, but if that's not functioning because you didn't optimize it. You're basically getting you know twenty bucks back for the hundred bucks you put in. Right? Exactly. Like, you never do that. Like, yeah. You know, I'm not using that fucking bank. <laughs> exactly. There's, there, there's lots of ways to stimulate these pathways, yeah. but exercise really is the most potent mm -hmm. because it can have the, the most energetic demand on the cell in the shortest period of time. Right. Like you're you're putting a lot of metabolic stress when we do metabolic types of training. You're putting mechanical stress, you're lifting weights. Training is the hallmark or the, the core of how we can impact this as, as fitness uh, people. Now. You can do it other ways, like I said, dietary restriction, intermittent fasting, periodic fasting, uh, you know, these, these different protocols around cold and heat, all, all these things have some measure of impact in mitochondria because they impact your, your energy, right? Yeah. They, they're causing those, uh, that interplay between energy supply and demand to change. Uh, but again, I, I like to work out, you like to work out. Training is our best weapon, it's our best tool to optimize for mitochondria and, and contrary to what people would love to believe, you need more strength training for that, right? Strength training, 
will increase mitochondria to the extent that you increase more muscle mass. So if I have more muscle, I need more mitochondria. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't really increase the mitochondrial density, meaning the amount of mitochondria that are packed into those muscle fibers. For that, you need metabolic type training, intervals, long, slow distance, a variety of that sort of work. Okay. You can put that metabolic, of that. You, you need a variety of yes. it because okay. it's going to develop a variety of, of those mitochondria in different muscle fibers and different tissues within the muscle fibers and different parts of the body. You need periods of that longer, lower intensity metabolic demand and you need periods of the higher intensity for less duration demand because those will impact the mitochondria in different ways. But ultimately, you want mitochondria. You want lots of very high functioning mitochondria and you really want those to do their job of producing energy and being really efficient. And what's really interesting is if you've looked at uh, you know pictures or diagrams, mitochondria look like little bean type things, right? Little, little corn shaped uh, kernels, but that's not what they are actually. They can be sheep dependent. So it doesn't matter uh, what you've seen in this picture, they look different depending on what cells they're in. And in, in muscle fibers, they form these long kind of continuous grid-like networks through the muscle. And they can stretch and change, they can fuse together, they can break apart and fission, they change shape, they move around in the cell, and they communicate with each other, which is super fascinating. Mitochondria have these connected networks where they can literally talk to each other, and then like I said, they communicate back and forth with the nucleus. And they think that one of the things that likely happens as we age and our metabolism loses some of that capacity is the mitochondria DNA and the nucleus DNA don't interact the way that they should, and that leads to a mismatch between energetic demands and the energy that's actually being supplied. And we start to see this in deletions of mitochondria DNA, we see uh, mutations, you see basically mitochondria and cells becoming dysfunctional, and once that reaches a certain point, you can get apoptosis, where the cell basically triggers cell death, and you mm -hmm. see, again, part of this just degeneration of our metabolic function over time. So when you, when, you, when we talk about like these averages, you say between 20 and 40, you lose 40, 50%, and then later on. Now, is this, like with, for instance, exercise and different variations? This is, this is just somebody who's just going about their life. Gotcha. That's, the, that's yeah. a great thing. Gotcha. So yeah. mitochondria, because it's, this makes sense, right? Mitochondria is so essential to life. And what's fascinating to me is between one and a half, two billion years ago, there was just a cell, and then there was a mitochondria, which was a bacterium. At some point, the cell engulfed the, back, the mitochondria and life was born as we know it, right? There was, there was only anaerobic metabolism driven cells and then there was the mitochondria. And it's only by the fusion of those two things that we exist, or that all life itself exists. And that symbiotic relationship is, is literally what proliferated life because it's the energy transfer with the oxygen that we have in our environment. So you know, when we look at that, we're like mitochondria are essential to life. It's why mitochondria has its own DNA. It's the only part of your cell besides the nucleus that has its own DNA, but it still relies on the cell's DNA or the nucleus DNA to uh, build the whole thing. But my point is we're really adaptable in this capacity. Like we can ramp up our, our mitochondria huge amounts, 200%, 300%, kind of depending on where you're starting. But you can multiply, you can, it's called mitochondrial biogenesis. You can increase your mitochondria by huge amounts, right? It's, it's what happens as you go from someone who's been on the couch their whole lives getting up and moving and then do a little bit more a little bit more and you can go up to a marathon well a lot of what happens is just those mitochondrial um, you know power plants and do all these other things increase dramatically that's called mitochondrial biogenesis and again that's our best tool it's what we want well let me ask you this though because I, I think for people listening you know the 
not just the benefits, but the, the drawbacks of when, for instance, uh, there's advice such as for somebody that wants to be healthy, have the best immune system, you know, build muscle. But again, you don't want, nobody wants these drawbacks, right? Nobody wants to have joint pain. Nobody wants to be out exactly. of breath when they're doing something. And all the other stuff that I, w- I would say that makes you healthy as far as like not get sick as much. We know how like, man, this guy's always getting sick. This guy's never getting sick, right? What's the drawback when people don't do other, I would say, um, types of conditioning? Meaning, all I do is strength train and walk, for instance, right? Like when they're not including, whether it's high intensity intervals, aerobic capacity work. I mean, there's obviously a lot of different modalities that I've, you know, for a long time now been like, look, you you, you can't just do these two things if you wanna be, uh, I, I feel like you know the most optimal human being. Yeah. But like, what what are some of those things? Well, like I said, you're at, you know if we look at this this three layer diagram or model, you're starting out here. You're like, oh, I want to build strength and power, but you don't have the core nucleus in place. So what does it mean? It means you're going to recover slower. I'm mean, not saying you can't build muscle. Obviously, you can. Uh, it means you are probably more likely to get injured over time. You're you're going to have less energy as a whole because all your energy is being driven towards metabolic functions to drive muscle growth and not the other processes that are important. Uh, it means from honestly a, a, the standpoint of longevity like we just don't see nearly longevity benefit from a lot of muscle mass versus a lot of metabolic function if you look at longevity studies you know you see basically uh, a high level of metabolic function endurance athletes have been shown to live up to eight nine years longer on average than the average person there's research out there you know we can go into causation versus correlation but there's research showing uh, that they looked at a big Populational studies of, of people spent different amounts of lifting weights, and it showed a curve where people that lifted more than like 30 to 45 minutes a week actually started to see a plateau and then a decrease. Decrease, yeah. right? It doesn't mean that necessarily that that caused a decrease per se, but those people, for whatever reason, were doing things or you know part of their lifestyle where they ended up seeing a decrease. So my point is not that strength training is not important; it is it has its own benefits from an bulk function and improves glucose tolerance and insulin sensitivity and all these sorts of things, but muscle in and of itself is probably not super uh, longevity promoting. Now, obviously we don't want to fall, we need mobility as we age, but again, we need that strength to drive movement. Yeah. We need that, you know, we need those things from the inside out. We should get movement through metabolic function and then higher levels of strength to drive higher force and power. Uh, but again, the downside is just, like I said, you're, you're more likely to get sick, you, you probably aren't going to live longer, you potentially could live shorter and if we look at I hate to say this but if we look at the world of strength conditioning we see a lot of people in our field who have been strength power focused hypertrophy driven people and a lot of them have died young I mean I know several of them myself you probably do as well I'm sure you do we've seen people in our field who are fitness professionals focus their entire life on lifting weights and getting stronger and they've been I mean I know people have been insanely strong and the strongest people on the planet but they're not healthy. And well, actually, that's, uh, a, that's a good point because a lot of our friends too that are, you know, I, like we're both in our 40s, uh, a lot of our friends in our 40s that went from, you know, I'm, I'm 225 yep. to, to 195 yep. to, you know, like and, and feeling a lot better, being a lot leaner. Now, because th- this is the conversation because I, I know like that you're not saying, like we're, we're always going to be kind of some meatheads to a certain degree, right? But it's, but it's like I've dropped weight and I feel better yep. and I've, you know, always done quite a bit of conditioning but like have a very big focus on it but because I, I think this is an, an important conversation 
Uh, because you, you can get kind of thrown off. Like, oh, well, listen, all I got to do is this. You know, yeah. I don't really have to. Come I like lifting weights. I like getting a pump. I'm yeah. lifting weights. Well, okay, and great, and this story is like, oh, I'm really giving up a lot of muscle mass when I start yeah. conditioning. Like, that's just not true. No, I mean, look, the, the it, truth of it is, like, again, if, if I have to go to an extreme, then I got to pick a plan. I got to yeah. pick a side, right? If, if I want to build an extreme amount of muscle mass, you know, I want to be a bodybuilder looking physique and I want to put on huge amounts of muscle, then yeah. You're gonna have a hard time doing that and developing the metabolic function that I'm talking about towards the longevity end. But the, again, the average person doesn't want that roadmap. Like it, the average person wants to look good, sure, but they wanna be healthy. They wanna have the energy it takes to get through their day. They wanna be able to play with their kids as they age and they wanna feel good as they go through that process. They don't wanna get sick. They wanna be able to protect themselves against you know viruses and those sort of things. That's what people want and that's what most people Need and again, they, they need to consider that metabolic training, metabolic function, metabolic optimization is a core of that. And it's a, I mean, it's like a, we've talked about this whole pie chart before, right? Which is like, okay, look, like if you know, if you go extreme, then a big like part of that pie has got to go towards that. Yeah, you, got, you just got to be willing to sacrifice, yes, right? I mean, absolutely. again, if we look at really extreme people, you know, you look at Ronnie Coleman, I don't know if people can the Ronnie Coleman documentary, I mean, he sacrificed his mobility for the rest of his life, his health is, is wrecked. And he did it to be one of the you know one of the greatest bodybuilders of all time, and that's his his choice. But that's not where most people live, yeah. Yeah. and so there's there's no reason to think that like oh I can't do metabolic work because it's gonna sabotage my muscle. Well, again, the muscle's coming from mitochondria growth, right? Mitochondria are not only supplying the nutrients, they're supplying the hormones, the the sex hormones, the hormones that are driving muscle growth. They are basically what mitochondria do. Like I said, is when times are lean, they hunker down and they operate very efficiently. So you need less energy. And for need less oxygen to increase the same amount of ATP. But when times are good, then they focus their energy towards growth, repair, proliferation, uh, immunity, those sorts of things. So actually, now that you bring this up too, like uh, a word on, people have probably heard this metabolic flexibility, right? Where uh, being actually able to in periods going like, hey, look, I'm it's more nutrient dense. I'm taking more calories in. I'm restricting. Yep. Uh, sometimes higher carbs. Sometimes lower fat so that your uh, basically body adapts to being able to do any of that. Like is there, I mean, f for instance, even for, for you or in research, do you think that that has merit and, and has uh, benefit for people to test it out? Because I mean, I've, like, I've done it and sometimes not even a, as a goal, but it was like I did you know, intermittent fasting uh, just because I like to get up and get shit done and, you know, and, and get going. And then it was like, okay, well, I'm also like very sympathetic. So there, there's downsides to it too, but uh, again, there's a lot of ways to play with it, and there's times where I've done tons of high carb and it went a little bit low carb. Sure. I, I think it's obviously benefited me, and it was never like with that in mind. But now there's a lot also talk about metabolic flexibility, and like there's benefits to, I would say, doing fast sometimes. Yeah, and, you I know. Mean, look, I think that's a, it's an important discussion because there's there's been this argument or debate in in the you know kind of fitness world for does intermittent, not fast, intermittent fasting, but does doing cardio in a fasted state improve body comp, right? You had a whole camp which said, you know, if I do my cardio and I'm fasted, it's gonna increase my fat utilization, so I'm gonna lose more body fat. And then you had another group saying, that just doesn't matter, it's the total calories, it's really all that matters. But that's the wrong question, right? That's looking at this perspective from purely a physique point of view. And when we looked at it that way, the answer is like, it probably doesn't make a huge difference, but, when we look at fasted states in general, like I said, what it does is it tells the cell there's a scarcity of nutrients and that causes specific reactions in the cells. It activates what's called AMP kinase. It activates what are called the sirtuin pathways and specific sirtuin that respond to lack of nutrients. 
and it makes the cells start to become more resilient to that stress by operating much more efficiently. We actually see uh, mitochondria that are healthy will fuse and elongate, and that makes them better at nutrient absorption. And then the ones that can't do that basically get eaten up. So when we are calorically deprived, we stimulate catabolic pathways, and one of the most important, the catabolic just means breaking the energy down. Uh, when we get into that state, one of the biggest benefits of all of this, which is becoming more discussed topically, is autophagy. And that basically just means getting rid of the junk that's not working very well. And we start to break down autophagy when we're in these nutrient-deprived states. Why? Because it's maintenance mode. It's trying to scavenge and reduce our energy consumption and get rid of cells that aren't functioning very well, and components of the cells, I should say, in that case, aren't functioning very well. So when we're in these fasted states, and the fast depends on the length, the amount of time it takes depends on uh, length, all that sort of stuff. But in general, the benefits to being in these nutrient-deprived states is it upregulates autophagy. And at the same time, it blocks growth. It blocks what's called mTOR, which is a growth pathway. And people are afraid that, oh, I don't want to block it, you know, my growth, right? But yeah, you do actually, because if you have a bunch of cells that are performing poorly, that is one of the hallmarks of aging, right? You get senescence, <laughs> you get a bunch of things that are yeah. just not working very well. And I think that's the real benefit of fasting in these different uh, protocols is it upregulates autophagy and it does block growth. And that's why, again, it's, it's interesting because if you look at the life extension community, one of the drugs that's getting the most attention uh, for the most consistently effective life extension drug in animals and, and different test populations, not in humans to the extent, but it's called rapamycin. And it basically blocks that mTOR pathway that is part of the growth signaling pathway. And you block mTOR, you live longer, period. Metformin is another one that's getting a lot of uh, discussion and that works in, in different ways. But basically we, we see that blocking insulin and blocking growth and IGF-1 extends life. And again, it's not that we don't need those things, we do, especially as humans, we live in a different environment than, than mice in a, a cage in a laboratory. But it just shows us there's a tremendous benefit to letting the cells sense that there's less nutrients than it would like and instead of shuttling energy towards growth, it should shuttle towards maintenance and survival. And those pathways, the sirtuins, uh, those pathways of AMP kinase lead to better overall efficient metabolism and that promotes longevity. So there are benefits to fast. So going back to your original point, let's say, again, if we look at a research paper that says, oh, well, you don't really lose any more fat if you, if you do cardio in a fasted state, so don't do it. Well, maybe that was the wrong question to ask. Are there underlying physiological mechanisms that we could see where doing some form of, of exercise in a, in a bit of a calorically depleted low glucose state or low glycogen state could be beneficial for promoting these longevity pathways? And the answer is yes. Now, again, these sorts of studies haven't been done. They, you know, we, we don't have a bunch of population controls doing fasted cardio for 50 years and seeing what happens. <laughs> so a lot of this stuff comes down to understanding what, what is happening in animal models and then mechanistically, what are the underlying things that are driving life extension in those animal models and then trying to see if those things can carry over into humans. And we're really at the start of that. There's, there's lots of studies that are starting to look at these different pathways and their direct effect on longevity in humans. Uh, there was something called the uh, TAME study was looking at, that's looking at metformin in larger populations. There was a TRIM study looking at thyroid rejuvenation with different protocols. So these things are starting to happen, and you can either say, well, I'm gonna wait 50 years and see if they worked, or, or, you, or, you, or, or you start using them now, and you start, you start experimenting with different things and seeing how well they you know, affect how you feel and, and how much energy you have and, and how your, uh, you know, your, your health changes. And I think there's a, a, abundance of research 
again, looking at these things in, in lots of different animal strains and populations to say, we can see why this would work and there's benefits to, to diving in. And there's and basically not really a lot of downsides because you look at downside versus upside. I mean, look, it, it, and let's just look at strength and conditioning, right? A lot of stuff that worked back in the day was not like the research came out back then, right? Yep. And I mean, we were just talking about this, doing some, uh, which we will, we're gonna, we're gonna do some uh, being our own lab rats and, and, and yep. testing some stuff out. but. That you know that leads me to like the practicality. When we were when we were talking on Sunday was um, you know I, I love because a lot of the stuff whether it's uh, by the way you know if you guys haven't done uh, the conditioning course best conditioning course in the world um, uh, the recovery course actually con- the conditioning certification and the recovery course because Joel does a great job of breaking things down into buckets that's like theory to pr- you know to practical and how it applies into the real world and that's where I wanted to take this too, you know, we talked about these like TENS buckets, right? Yep. Which is just a, an acronym of what affects metabolic optimization in these buckets. Um, sure. and, and just going one by one. Now, some of them I'm probably gonna ask you like a little deeper questions because yep. I feel, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just me personally wanting to get more depth in, uh, in some buckets more than others, but uh, let's just start from the top, which is, you know, the first T, T bucket, which right, is training. Which is training. Yeah, like I said, training is probably the most obvious, right? Like we know that we can impact mitochondria and our metabolic function significantly through training, right? And that's where your metabolic work comes in. That is where, again, you, you need a variety of intensities and volumes. You need high intensity, you know, a couple times a week. You need lower intensity, higher volumes periodically dispersed through that. Now, if you only train twice a week, then yeah, you do high intensity a couple times a week. The challenge with mitochondria is you can grow them tremendously and you can increase a lot of mitochondria very quickly, but it's also the reverse is true that because there's a very high turnover of mitochondria, you will see declines very quickly without stimulus. So if you're an endurance athlete, you take two weeks off, you're going to feel it big time, right? So our mitochondria, because they're so adaptable, as soon as it senses there's no longer need for that, they will decline. So it's why we need more frequent uh, metabolic work than we do strength training. I can take twice a week and I can do a full body workout, Monday, Thursday, whatever, I can probably maintain my muscle mass and strength. Especially, and and lower people can, lower level fitness people can gain quite a bit on that. Mm -hmm. You cannot do that with metabolic conditioning, right? I mean, unless you are a a beginner, you cannot do two days a week in metabolic conditioning and expect to gain or even maintain, you're gonna lose it. So metabolic work requires frequency, but it doesn't require high intensity, high volume every day because you'll you'll burn yourself out and overtrain. So it needs, again, that variety. So I'd say most people, a couple days a week of some some higher intensity intervals, shorter durations, and then doing some longer volume, lower intensity zone two stuff, which is getting, it's funny, zone, everything comes back around full circle, right? It wasn't 15 years ago when I was writing ultimate conditioning that people were calling me insane for talking about low and slow cardio, you know, LSD, cardiac output. No, 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 it's a waste of time to build, burn your muscle. Now everyone's talking about zone two cardio. <laughs> it's the same shit, it's just, yeah, it's, yeah. It's just repackaged. Yeah. Uh, but there are benefits to it. So. Again, the training side, that's gonna have a huge metabolic effect and lifting weights also has uh, the benefit of increased, like say, insulin sensitivity and glucose tolerance. It is important for developing strength or maintaining strength, but within limits, you know, like I said, yeah. the, I would say the there's less of a, there is no real ceiling that we've seen in the research from especially aerobic metabolism. We see the higher you go in aerobic function, the greater your expected life expectancy is. There's no like upper limit where it doesn't have any further benefit. And I think we can't say the same thing about muscle. Mm-hmm. There's definitely an upper limit where muscle becomes less beneficial because it's a very calorically demanding tissue, meaning it takes more energy to conserve and just maintain that muscle. And that in and of itself over a long period of time 
probably accelerates aging a bit. And the thing is too, like, you know, because that's the reason that we say build muscle, right? Because now you, you, your metabolism is higher, right? Because yep. you have to burn more calories. And it, again, some truth that of course, but there's also like a- Like I said, there's an upper limit. And, and what they've actually found, so what's interesting in the research itself, it's not muscle mass, it's strength, right? Mm -hmm. It's neurological efficiency to use that muscle mass effectively. So you don't need to be Schwarzenegger in your 70s, right? You just need the amount of muscle mass that it takes you to move around, to get out of bed, to enjoy life and do the things you like doing. So you don't need to build this massive stockpile of reserve in your 40s or 20s or 40s that you know you think you're gonna save all the way through the rest of your life. You just need to preserve a reasonable amount of muscle mass. But again, that comes back to metabolic function, mitochondria, and if we can maintain energy production, we can maintain our muscle mass. And what's also fascinating is, you know, people are afraid of, of doing anything that's gonna hinder growth, right? Mm -hmm. Well, mTOR is the growth signaling pathway. It's what literally causes the signal of events to happen that cause tissue to be rebuilt and proliferated, including fat storage. But when they block mTOR with rapamycin, they don't actually see the animals lose a bunch of muscle. They don't gain muscle, per se. But you don't see this massive atrophy of animals that are given mTOR or giving rapamycin their entire lives. So again, we need both pathways. We need the growth pathway. I'm not discounting that you know, we, we, we do need that, especially for our lives and the stress of their lives. But you also need this conservation longevity pathway activated too. So I, I mean, I think the biggest thing practically is, and, and from the folks that, I mean, when we train, we talked, like most people need to do more conditioning. It just they do and, absolutely, and, and and both, you know, because it's because it's like I think there's this gap, right? It's like zone two is not walking, right? Walking is no, excellent. No, I, yeah, walking is great. Walking is blood flow. Yeah, and but it, you're I, not going to develop to the mitochondria. Absolutely, walking, right? if that was that simple. Then yes, know, and, and I think there's benefits to walking that are way beyond like you know metabolism, burning yeah, calories, absolutely. and stuff like that. Being active is great. And, uh, you know, the, ten, the, the thing is a 10,000 step thing was actually, I, uh, I think I, I was in your course that I went through it. was like, yeah, that was a marketing ploy. It was a Japanese marketing ploy. So this is, this side, this is fascinating. We, we looked at all of our Morpheus data. We have yeah. data from thousands of people that have measured HRV, done different workouts. We track their activity from their, their tracker. We look at their sleep. And we separated groups into high, medium, and low fitness. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we separated them into people who see an increase in their HRV versus people who see a decrease in their HRV, which an increase in HRV is higher aerobic fitness, yes. increase slow, right? And so we looked at all the other variables and tried to see what we found. The interesting thing is that at the moderate and high level of fitness, the people that improved their fitness went fewer steps than the people that decreased their fitness. Because again, it comes back to what I talked about. If you're expending this massive amount of energy going 20,000 steps, 15,000 steps a day, it's you're gonna pull you're, back. It's gonna, it's, gonna be, yep. it's gonna pull back. So now you're not gonna have the energy resources to build even the type of medical fitness that you want. So you need to be active, but not overly active is basically the point. Yeah, and I mean, and this this is the kicker too, because again, like the, the pendulum just swings in so many different ways. Yes. And you know, th this whole idea of balance here, and I, I think that, you know, I like it. Hey, listen, if you're doing, you know, three strength sessions a week, uh, which I think for most is a good kind of thing to shoot for. I mean, yeah, I, I, I would default to metabolic work first. I mean, like people look at this, to me, people look at this inside out. They look at this, okay, I'm gonna do these three strength sessions and I'll see where I can fit in metabolic work. Mm -hmm. I think it needs to be the opposite. Coming from somebody who spent half their life in the weight room, no, it's, it's, it's a, I, you know, it's I have a hard time thinking about it that way, but that's no, absolutely. I, and I, I like that you bring it up because I'm all like, you know, I, I think there's a, obviously with strength training to me, it's like, 
I enjoy it. Like I could, yeah, you know, so, so you're gonna be drawn to that. Which, but it, but it's like you gotta fill in those. You know, that's been a big thing in in my life where I'm like, I have to get this stuff in. And sometimes it's like I get it in because I have boxing lessons, and that's gonna be, you know, that's gonna be high intensity conditioning for me because yeah. you know <laughs> Mike pushes you. And then it's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm gonna do some type of sprinting, you know, true high intensity intervals, right? And then I'm gonna have like two days a week where it's just like I'm gonna find ways to podcast and just be in that zone too. Yeah. And and it's like, listen, man, it's, and also it's great for recovery, right? Rebound workout. If you guys haven't checked out, you know, yeah. the, the the rebound training as far as it helps you recover from strength training. But I, I think it's like whichever way you look at it, because I, I agree with you. It's just like, why, you know, why don't you actually fit in this first? Because you're not doing it right yeah. now, and then plug your strength training around it. Because you're just, you know, of course, you go to whatever you're best at or whatever draws. Yeah, I think, look, I think we're the fitness community and the fitness professional trainers, coaches, we're guilty of strength bias. And I started my career with, you know, sure. in, yeah. on the strength side. And I started lifting weights when I was 13. I don't, I was thinking about this. I don't think I've missed more than maybe a week of lifting in 30 years. And exactly. the only time I did that was when I had a hernia. And I was still doing shit. Yeah. <laughs> I was using like dumbbells where I sit in the chair. So, I'm guilty of, of being a strength first guy. We all are because I think as strength coaches, that was the most comfortable. We, we all grew up lifting weights. Yeah. We all wanted to look like Arnold and, and bodybuilders were growing up. Like that's just where the communities come from. Uh, and if I had to start training combat athletes, I probably would still have that perspective. Mm. But you just kind of see the more you get into physiology, the mechanistic things that align it, and you train people and you coach and you aid yourself, you start to rethink that paradigm. And again, Lifting weights is important. We need to do it. But if if I'm only given two days a week to do uh, you know some sort of work, I'm gonna make sure I get at least two those metabolic days, and I would fit in strength training at the back end of those days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, I can train more than twice a week. But I'm just saying we, we should think from the inside out, which is the metabolic work and then the strength, rather than the reverse. And it's funny because I did a Twitter style post on IG, <laughs> uh, and I posted no. something about if your priorities are metabolic conditioning, like do that before strength. And don't do a strength. Like, oh my God, blast don't, do, don't do a strength workout and throw ten minutes of metabolic conditioning at the end and think you've really developed metabolic conditioning. You haven't uh, to any meaningful extent. And that, yeah, like you said, shitstorm of people. That's blasphemous. You can't. You can't do that. You'll kill your muscle mass. Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, if your goal is metabolic conditioning, your goal is metabolic conditioning. You don't have to always be in strength building mode. Yeah. You don't always have to do it that way. So. What I'm working on now is this this model, if we can kind of, we can jump ahead a little bit of the TENS model, but what I think is really beneficial is, is to go through these different periods of restricted eating, time calorically dense, or calorically restricted feeding, I mean fasting, whatever you want to do, and we can layer in some of what I call non-exercise hermetic stress, which has the cold and heat therapy yeah. and these, these other types of uh, pathways that activate the same thing in different mechanisms. And our goal during these periods is build mitochondria, activate these sirtuin pathways, activate the AMP kinase, make our bodies really efficient and make the metabolism efficient, and just maintain the muscle strength that you've got. And you know what, if you lose a small amount, so what? Your goal here is to drive up autophagy and clear out all the crap and optimize for that longevity functionality of our body. We need those periods where we keep insulin lower, we keep calories lower, uh, we spend more time placed in metabolic demand, and then we can go through growth phases where we shift gears and say, okay, we're where we need to be. We've, we've put the time in on the restriction phase. Now we'll go into a growth phase. We, we can build strength, we can build muscle, we can build new collagen and proliferate these new tissues that are important for health. We can stimulate the immune system on that side. 
So I think we look at this as these, these cycles, like targeted cycling of, of growth and longevity, and we can use both of these to facilitate and improve the other, because I think after you go through this period of clearing everything out, improving the efficiency, you're primed for growth, you can actually probably get better mTOR signaling, you can probably have better insulin sensitivity, all these things can set you up for, for growth and repair. Now you have to be careful if you've you know, done some sort of restrictive eating for 12 weeks so you just don't go balls to the wall ballistic and eat everything you can possibly eat because you will gain fat and you're primed for storage for that too. But just going through these periods, I think of alternating what our objectives are metabolically and, and strength and power wise is really valuable. And I think when you're younger, right, you can do more of the strength building side and just use these little longevity restriction phases and short spurts but I think as you age and you get to the point where you and I are in our, in our 40s, you shift gears a bit and you start spending more time on the longevity restriction uh, side of it and you can still go back and forth to this growth part. But I think we just kind of wrap our heads around the fact that you don't have to train the same all the time and you don't have to train the same in your 40s as you, you shouldn't train the same in your 40s as you did when you're 20. But our priorities change as we age and we need to think about how we position ourselves from a training standpoint as we do that. And I think that the what, what's cool is like if you're in your 20s and you're building up, like once you've done a lot of strength training and build a good chunk of muscle, like maintaining that is so much less work. Yeah, right? absolutely. So, so it's now, you, you know, and this is kind of like my sell on this is right. Like if you've done the work, right, now you can actually build other things up and maintain that yep. with way less effort, way which less gives effort. you more energy to, to work on other stuff that's going to help you with longevity and health and, and immunity. So. I think that's you heard it here first, by the way. Right, we're gonna we're gonna do some of the tests on this and and and, and see where it goes because because I, I love the idea. But that you know that moves us into the the E of of tens, which is environment. Environment exactly. I mean, environment is such a key because ultimately we are the product of two things. Like you and myself and everyone else comes down to your DNA and your interaction of that DNA with your environment, which is what your epigenetics ultimately. Uh, is, is is the interaction of those two things. So the environment that we're in, not just Seattle, Washington or, or wherever, but everything that we surround ourselves with in terms of uh, pollution that we're around, the people that we're around, the interactions we have, the stress on our lives, mm -hmm. all of those things play a huge role in switching on and off parts of our DNA that we have. And the more mental stress we have under our lives, the more uh, pollutants, you live in a big city where you're just inundated with smoke like we are in Seattle right now, those have impacts on our genetics mm -hmm. and, our, and our metabolism as, as a whole. And like I said, the mental stress plays, plays a huge role. So unhappiness versus happiness, those things will impact your metabolism and, and your... And it, and it goes beyond. This goes just the too. entire environment you live in yeah. impacts your genes. Everything. And it, I mean, not to, we won't even go down this rabbit hole, but you know, uh, Dr. Ali Gilbert talks about a lot of like what affects testosterone and yeah all where, of and, this where, yeah. and obviously what we drink out of and the the the, the shower yes. gels that we use i mean there's there's a ton of stuff but i think it's like the environment part really what you know the thing that like how do we affect it well it's like there's stuff that is out of your control it's like spheres of control can't control this but what can i control? Yeah, we can, i mean I, I would say you, you may or may not have ability to move if you live in a shitty city yeah, yeah. <laughs> you live in a shitty city mm -hmm. Uh, maybe you can't move, uh, but we can affect the people around us. We can affect where we spend our time. We can affect how we spend our time. We can we can affect how we perceive stress because that's a big because mental stress is a perception, yeah. right? Like life or death stress is someone's got a knife to my throat. That's real stress. Like I could legitimately die uh, or starvation out in the middle of the wild. Like that's a real stress because I could literally die. But 
your bill of being overdue or a deadline for getting a paper done, that's imagined, right? Yeah. That's the perception, perception of something. Yeah. It's perception of being stressed. Because if you don't pay that bill, you're not gonna die, right? Like if you don't get that homework done in time, like you're gonna get a shitty grade, but you're not gonna die. Those are, those are things that are perceptive that lead to physiological changes in the form of stress. Which I, that, I, I think that you, know, like, you can control. Yeah, you can develop, I mean, this it's is your attitude. My cell to that, you know, I was like, I mean, I love stoicism and read a ton of stoic works because I guarantee you, you know, same stress comes to, I don't know, Marcus Aurelius versus, I don't know, somebody today in their 20s. And it's like they're probably perceiving it so differently. And again, perspective of the world, right? Yeah. So stuff that you can develop. But I think there's a big, you know, because I mean, we could, environment could be a whole long ass. It is. I, mean, look, I would say if your environment sucks, your training is going to be a lot harder to get right. Because yeah. Yeah. if you are stressed out all the time, you're surrounded by people that take energy away from you that you're constantly battling with or, or you know just you're in an unhappy situation like if your life is unhappy and your environment is not good training is another layer of stress on top yeah. of that you can't get near as much out of it because you're already spending so much energy and so much mental capacity towards that this is important like this you talk about this so much which is that I mean meant like if you're in a sympathetic mode fight or flight you're, you're stressed out that's energy's going to yeah that, exactly that that's is, using that energy is. and it's like that energy is now going not going towards repair tissues yep. and immune exactly. system and again you want a little bit of stress like yeah. some stress even some meta, some you know some cognitive stress can be good if you spend time working on math problems and studying complicated that, that is a stress to the brain but it causes beneficial effects but there's a difference between that and just a stressed life mm. that's not good there's there's zero evidence to suggest or show us that making someone stress out of their minds their whole life is, is a path to longevity, right? It, it's just not. So you've really got to get that right, and then you can layer a really solid training program on top of it. But if you're in just a miserable environment, you hate your job, like you're maybe in a bad relationship, you're, you're not good financially, yeah, it, you're a mess. It's hard to put a good training program on top of that and solve anything. And I, I think a good question is like, what's, you know, you stress is, the stress that helps you grow is like which of the stresses that I, I go to the gym you stress right okay um, I'm studying hard to you know finish Joel certification good stress right yeah. I need a better coach but then it's like what's the stress that's not helping me you know and it's like if you can eliminate or, or downsize that and improve more of the use stress, like you're in a better position yeah much better um, and then you look we also have we do have some control of our environment I mean you can choose to sit in a gym or you can choose to go outside. You can choose to take vacations for, you know, do things. And now with remote work, you have some more flex. I think we have more probably flexibility now to some of our environmental things. If you sure. can work from home versus, I mean, there are more options, I would say now for, for where we can live and things that we can do, but you have to want to prioritize it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I go to Hawaii for months on end and you know, basically in the process of moving there. And it's because I can be outside all year round. Yeah. Uh, I'm around people that are generally happy. I mean, this is actually worth talking about for just two seconds. And this is not a sales pitch for Hawaii, but maybe it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be in the North Shore of Oahu. I'll be in the North Shore of Oahu, be 100 years old, be, be, be perfectly healthy because I live there. But when you go to Hawaii, it's a very different environment, right? There is not the same immediacy of getting things done to great, more financial reward. There's not the same societal pressure to succeed or, or, or show that you've succeeded. People are friendlier to one another. There is more of a sense of community there. So this, this it really is different. I grew up in Seattle and I've traveled most of the world, um, but it wasn't until I started spending more time in Hawaii that I really saw the impact of different environment, mm -hmm. right? Like it's one thing to travel and be somewhere for like a week, 
about I lived in Hawaii for months now and it is a different environment it's a different feel it's more relaxed it's more laid back and here's the thing that's fascinating to me do you know what state I mean I just gave the answer <laughs> but do you know what state has the highest longevity in the US let me guess yeah let you guess <laughs> please right <laughs> Duh, it's Hawaii exactly so Hawaii is not the fittest I think they're like 12th and 13th if I remember right in terms of like fitness but they live the longest mm-hmm. And there's a reason for that. It's the environment. It's being able to be outside, to be in the sun, to be surrounded by the ocean, to be connected to the earth, connected to the people. Community. Community, big, yeah. food, obviously. All these, I mean, Hawaiians eat great food, uh, and, and they're not all super lean. Yeah. But I think it's that environmental aspect on their metabolism and their health and their well-being that plays a huge role because, again, our mental well-being impacts our physiology. So you have a direct impact on your metabolism, your mitochondria, everything else through the emotional well-being. So that's, again, environment matters, you know? And, and personally, I'm willing to go through the effort to live somewhere like that because I feel the benefits when I'm there and, and I love the community and the, the things I just talked about. So, again, not a sales pitch. Actually, don't go to Hawaii. You, <laughs> prices are already high enough. It's a shithole. Stay away from Hawaii. <laughs> this was Particularly not sponsored Northern by Hawaii. Hawaii. Tourism, yeah. by the way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, I think that you, before we move to, to end in there, like I would just say, like I've just been the biggest, you know, I feel like environment triggers behaviors and it's like, yeah, it does. it's the fastest Absolutely. way to change your behavior is alter the environment. Make your environment better and, you know what I mean? And, rest, and again, yeah. it could be like, hey, all of a sudden I'm hanging around people that are, you know, challenging themselves to be better, healthier. You will, you know, now go to those societal norms in the tribe and boom, all of a sudden, yep. you know, it's like you're, you're, you're making changes. So, yeah, I mean, I'll say like, we always... You know, you know, talk about in the financial. Where you're like, oh, you're gonna, you're gonna become like the five people you surround. Whatever that old saying is, it's it's true from a financial perspective. Like, if you hang out with people that are financially successful, you're probably gonna be more like yeah, this. Absolutely, it's the same thing. If you hang out with really unhealthy people that do unhealthy shit, I'm probably not gonna be so healthy. No one has been. St- I, uh, PM was doing a lot of like, uh, I don't know what he got the research from, but it was a lot of research, and it was basically like. You know, if, if your family, if uh, if both parents are obese, it's like a, oh, it's, a 70, it's 80 percent chance, yeah. 80, 80 plus percent chance. Yeah. If your friends are, it's like 60. I mean, the numbers are kind of wild. But again, like it does, it just means that like, look, you should really pay attention to that and you can make, the, you, you can make You, you have tomorrow. control over that, right? Like yeah, absolutely. You, you might not be able to quit your job and go to Hawaii and I hope you don't because again, <laughs> prices are not great. But you can definitely control who you spend time with. You often can, I mean, you can control your job. You hate your goddamn job. Why are you doing it? <laughs> like, yeah, don't stop. It's options. Yeah, it's options. options. It's like, it's you options. have control of your life. And this isn't like a whole other side, but take control of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. like if you hate your job and it's stressful and you're not happy there, find something that works for you. The number one thing I would suggest you say that makes people happy is spending time doing things they like versus yeah. things they hate. So <laughs> start there. Um, that was just to, I mean, this could be a deeper one, but like we're going to one of the ends, which is yep. nutrition. Yep. Um, but, Again, nutrition, we've, we've done a lot of podcasts on nutrition, but specifically in this sense, you know, when it comes to metabolic optimization, what are some practical things, um, you know, both as like a science practicality yep. that, you know, help with that? Look, I mean, the, the number one thing really, I mean, there's been arguments, debates, but it is calories, right? The, the number one thing is you eat too many calories, you're going to gain weight, period. So you've got to get just the basic caloric intake. Right. After that, then it's macronutrient composition, right? You're you're going to be better off from a health perspective having a more balanced diet, I think, than going to the extremes mm-hmm. one or another. But, but these are all just different ways of eating that ultimately come down to managing calories effectively, 
And I think there's lots of ways to do this correctly. And I think that comes down to what works best for you or for the, the person we're talking to. You know, there are people that are on the extreme end of carnivore and keto that swear by it and feel great. And that's what works for them maybe to, to manage things. There's people who go the other direction, super low fat, lots of carbs, you know, moderate protein. And there's people who go low protein. I mean, there are lots of paths under the sun that you could sit there and argue the debate, the merits of all these things. But at the end of the day, you need to maintain a healthy body weight and you need to avoid excess calories coming in specific, you know, on a regular basis because ultimately your body weight is what matters. Now, once you've done that, you found something sustainable for you, which is really number two, right? It's one thing to be able to eat a certain way for a few weeks, but if it's not sustainable, who cares? You, yeah. you need to have a way of living and eating that's sustainable, that, that you can incorporate in your lifestyle that works for you. And that's gonna be different for everybody. And that some of that comes down to our, a lot of that actually comes down to our metabolic function. We all have different genomes, right? We all have different mitochondrial DNA. What's fascinating too, I didn't talk about this, the DNA that you have you know, in your nucleus is, is from your, both your parents, right? The DNA you have in your mitochondria comes from your mother only, which is, which is interesting. Hmm. But a lot of our metabolic function of processing, digesting foods is unique and genetic. So there's not one diet framework, I would say, that's the same thing for everybody. But if you get the calories right and you work out a macronutrient combination or, or a ratio that feels good for you, that's sustainable, that you perform well on, more power to you. And then you want good nutrient quality. You want foods that are higher in vitamins and minerals and, and less processed, obviously, because that's just healthy for you in general. And then I think we look at supplementation, right, which is what, what I'm working on now. In an ideal world, you wouldn't need supplementation, right? You would have all the nutrients in your foods. You would have all the different cofactors and things running through as you metabolize them, and you would be in a great shape, and you wouldn't need to supplement anything. But we don't live in that world, right? We, we live in a world where... Food is designed to be cheap, taste good, portable, and scalable, and, and you know mass produced, and that comes the cost of nutrient quality, nutrient density. Now, if you have the financial resources, obviously you can go buy higher quality food. You can order from from local farms. You can go to places that will ship online from local farms. You can buy food that's organic versus further. You can buy less processed food. Like, you have control over things, but it's still really, really difficult to purely get everything you need from just eating your food. You're still likely to be lacking in certain areas. And we also, again, we have different metabolisms where we metabolize certain things better than other things and some things we need a lot more of than less. And that can be different for me and different for you. Depends on where you live. And, 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 and maybe the diet that you naturally gravitate towards is lacking in something, yeah. right? And it's better to be following a diet that's sustainable versus trying to follow a diet that maybe has more of what you need in it, but you can't sustain you can't it. Sustain, yeah. So the reality is that's where nutritional supplementation and support should come in. It should fill in those gaps. And we also have to look at all the other things we've talked about. Training and environment will drive your nutritional needs, right? Your nutritional needs depend on your training and your genetics. So if you're trained one way and this person's trained a different way, just those differences in training will drive the nutrient needs differently. So what I'm working on is, is filling in that gap, right? I'm working on evaluating your metabolic function through different functional testing, looking at how you're breaking down the macronutrients where the choke points are, where the restrictions are, and then where we can support you more effectively from a nutrient supplement standpoint. And it's basically filling the gap. It's filling the gap, exactly. Yeah. And like, I mean, I, I, like, I'm not going to pretend like I don't know about it because obviously we spent a lot of time together, which is, is super cool what Joel's working on. Um, 
Cool. Can I say the name? Yeah. 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 It's, called, it's called Precision Metabolics. It's yeah. Dope name. Exactly. Oh, but but basically with an X. With an X, correct. Yeah. Yeah, don't get it twisted. Not KS. Although I have, I have a CS.com too. I bought that book. Yeah. So don't try to buy it. But, yeah. <laughs> but, you can't. But it's, uh, you know, same thing. Like, look, for instance, I, I feel like I eat pretty damn on point. I still supplement because there's stuff that I just can't get in enough of. I mean, even like, you know, when we get pe folks to, to start improving their nutrition, make it more sustainable, let's take protein, right? Protein is just hard to get in in amounts. For most people, they go like, holy crap, I'm only eating 40 grams a day. All right, let's get you at least to 120. And it's like, I can't eat that much, yeah. right? You do a protein shake, yeah. right? But it's, and it's like, we live in, uh, you know, Washington State, like you need more vitamin D and K12, you know, especially certain times of the year. Yeah. And, but again, but the other thing, which, and which is what you're doing is, instead of going and guessing, it's like, no, like, here's the stuff that you're missing. And of course, as soon as you have nutritional deficiency, this creates a whole slew of different things, It, right? it has a cascade um, effects, right? Your yeah. body will get it from somewhere, where it takes it from, probably not where you want it to come from, right? It, yeah. It'll rob Peter to pay Paul and uh, prioritize areas that aren't the most efficient for you. Um, but I look at supplements in two broad categories, right? One is like, we gotta plug these deficiencies. You wanna eliminate things that are limiting factors or causing your metabolism to work inefficiently. And then two is, there are nutrients that we know are ergogenic. They increase performance and we can load them above normal physiological levels. Creatine's probably yeah. the best example. And then the better quality, you can load uh, carnitine, L-carnitine, but you need to do it injectably, otherwise you cause other problems. Another discussion, but my point is, there are specific nutrients, whether it's for cognitive function, metabolic function, strength building, that we know can optimize and improve above upon just you know getting your vitamins and minerals in. So we look at that perspective, and that's ultimately what we're doing with precision metabolics. We identify the things that are limiting your metabolism, the nutrients you're not getting from your foods, uh, and the things that just aren't being processed effectively. And then we look at, okay, what are some ergogenic aids that we can add in? And one that's getting discussed all these days is NAD. Uh, boosters, yep. you know, NR and NM for anti-aging purposes, metabolic function. We, we can look at these different ergogenic things. So I think we look at supplementation in those two parts, uh, but I think most people look at it backwards again, right? They want like, oh, I want to crush the pre-workouts and I want to crush amino acids and I want to like add in all these, these ergogenic booster things that just allow you to train maybe harder or, or nitrous oxide to get a better pump. And just, you know, get, I'm not saying there aren't benefits, but if you're lacking those core nutrients, your metabolic function is not optimized from a nutrition standpoint, you're working with the outside in again, rather than optimize metabolic function by eliminating these deficiencies, optimizing for the nutrients your body's not getting through your diet, then you can layer on these performance, you know, ergogenic boosters on top of that. Which, uh, the, another, because there is another T in 10s, right? And I, I wanted to touch on this, because I'm a fan, I mean, obviously, you know, talking about things about like like peptides and- uh, yep. and that, Yeah, that's and, the, the layer down, right? Ex exactly, but you know, well, put it like, just, I don't want to go too deep into this. Uh, that was an excellent, actually, there was an excellent um, episode of, went a lot further than, than peptides uh, on the Joe Rogan show uh, on the podcast uh, a little bit ago. But because I, I, you've done them, I've done, I've had significant benefits. Like it wasn't one of those things. Like, I don't know if yeah, I feel better. Yeah, I mean, peptides it, work, right? It, they, they, I mean, again, if N equals one, it's like I'm just saying it's made a significant difference in my recovery, how I felt, you know, and, less inflammation in joints, all of those good things. But what, we'll put it this way, just your opinion just on some, some of the research on it, because uh, I believe that that's, you know, integration of that, and that's kind of what I'm working on as well within the gym, is how do we provide like all these things that can help people support, you know, 
metabolic optimization and health and like how they feel, perform, look, all that stuff in-house, right? But because um, I know that's the direction too that we talked about, like you, know, you taking things, sure. injectables and things like that, uh, which again, I'm, I'm a fan of for, from the standpoint of what they do and to help you out. Uh, what are some thoughts around that? Peptides yeah. and, and just yeah. the, the, the therapies I mean, when it comes I, to that. I think that they have tremendous potential benefits. For those of you who don't know, peptides are just small amino acid chains, basically. And in order for them to be classified as a peptide, they have to be within certain numbers of those uh, chains. But they can do a wide variety of functions. Uh, we have thousands of them in our body, thousands of, of these little peptides floating around, and, and they act largely in in messenger. They, they they're connect, like signaling. They're right? signaling yeah. molecules, and they signal the body to do all kinds of different things, whether it's secrete growth hormone or, or release things from the, the mitochondria into the nucleus that tells it to build more mitochondria. There's endless different variations of these. The people have probably heard of them, you know, ipamorelin and MAGRF and testamorelin, BPC-157. These, these are all just little compounds that go in the cells and tell them basically do this. Yeah. And they can be tremendously beneficial and powerful when they're used effectively. Now, I would say this is, you know, T for, for therapeutics is probably the last one in my, in my, in my framework here because people, again, you, you don't cut to this level if your sleep is terrible, you're in yep. a terrible environment, your training sucks, and your diet is terrible. Like, adding in some peptides is not gonna do shit because you have everything else screwed up. So you, again, you work from the outside, inside out, and therapeutics is probably that last sphere of, okay, I've got a good general diet, I'm getting the core nutrients I need through supplementation, I'm getting enough sleep, like my, my stress is managed. Now I'm gonna get a lot of benefit out of those because I've addressed everything else and they're effective in that capacity. You know, I've been using them for 15 plus years. The challenge is quality control. Um, for many, many years, until very recently, it was all underground, right? You were ordering them to people that you didn't know who the hell they were, and you were, list, you were relying on other people to forum to, you were talking to that, to verify they were real, right, and legit, and you're, you're kind of in the dark. And then, I don't know, five, six years ago, they, they started being compounded by compound pharmacies. Uh, and there's one in Taylor made, it was probably the most prolific. And you started having doctors and naturopaths and functional medicine people, people that I would say more in the progressive area of medicine than traditional medical establishment, started having their patients take them under their supervision, which I think was a, a good thing. It legitimized them a bit more, it made sure that you're getting higher quality, at least you're more likely to be getting higher quality, and it created the education marketplace. The challenge is still for your average person who's like, I want to get a peptide. It's like, personally, there's only a couple sites that I would trust to order them from. And I have done an endless amount of research to find that. So the average person just Googling peptides on the internet. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be tough. It's a cluster. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you might be getting just total junk. You might be getting stuff that's got impurities in it. You might be getting stuff that's got wildly different doses than what's supposed to be in there. Now, the reality is peptides themselves, you know, 99%, like they don't have a bunch of harmful side effects are harmful side effects because they're just little proteins. Uh, they're not drugs. They're not. They're not artificially created synthetic things that act on our bodies in, in unnatural ways. So the worst thing happens, you probably waste your money on peptide to do nothing for you. Uh, but if you use them correctly and you get good quality products, they can have a range of benefits from again slowing down the aging process and proliferating new growth of different tissues, regulating immune function. Uh, fat loss, I mean, there's all kinds of things. So as of this, I'm actually going to a peptide conference this weekend in Las Vegas, and so there's a bunch of kind of top peptide people. There's actually like peptide symposiums now, which again, 15 years ago, no yeah, one knew peptides were. Um, but I also point out, for athletes, a lot of this stuff is regulated, and it's, yeah. it's not something they can, they can use legally, so 
if you are an athlete, you're tested by WADA, obviously make sure that whatever you were taking is, is not banned and most of these peptides are banned because they're effective, right? So, uh, you know, for someone who's in their 30s, 40s, 50s, they can have tremendous benefits. Somebody in their 20s, waste of time and money for the most part. Yeah, I mean, the thing, I bring it up because I think that's one of those things. They're, like you said, that's the last kind it's of like the last acronym. Exactly. But, you know, it, it can have a bunch of benefit. To me, it's always like, have you stacked these things? Great, one more iron, you go, you go this direction. Yeah, um, I, th- I think we're, unfortunately, we, well, it's just biology, right? We, we want to go the easiest thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want, I, I just want to inject this. Yeah, I don't want to take, wanna, wanna take my training and figure out exactly what to do and make sure I get enough sleep. I just want to take some peptides or some, yeah. some supplements and boom, like, but it, it just doesn't work that way, at least not very effectively. Yeah, so, all right, we move to the second end, which is? Non-exercise traumatic stressors. Okay. Right? So non-exercise traumatic stressors. Now, this stressors. has been, because this has been, obviously, in the last years, it's yeah, this, exploded. This, is, this again, this is the cold plunges that become super popular. Uh, this is the, the heat therapy and the cryotherapy and just all these different types of environments, basically, where we can impose upon our body. That's what mm-hmm. we, all we're doing. Like, we're imposing a cold environment on our body. We're imposing a hot environment. Uh, there's altitude trainers. There's, there's all these different changes of uh, things within our environment and temperatures that we can throw at our body. And a lot of them basically act in very similar way to caloric restriction, to metabolic conditioning. They're all just placing this stress on the cell uh, and activating these, these different longevity pathways, I would say, that make the metabolism more efficient and upregulate autophagy. They're just doing it in different ways, right? So you've got different signaling markers based on what you've done, there's heat shock protein when you get really hot, there's different things that happen in the brown fat when you get really cold, the trans- yeah. transition white fat to brown, there's there's different pathways, but they're all kind of the same mechanism. So they're, they're all valuable, but there's reasons to do them, there's ways to optimize them, which we'll talk about uh, later. But again, these are another layer, I'd say, on top of the, you know, get your environment, get your training, get your nutrition supplementation, then add in, right, and get your sleep, then add in your exercise, on exercise, yeah. extra yeah. layered, right? So. Yeah. Prioritize based on what you're capable of and where you're at now. Don't, don't just throw on those on top. I think actually, you know, too, uh, again, like it seems like I'm, because these things are connected, I'm pitching the, the recovery course, because, you know, for people to understand recovery well, I think, you know, these uh, modalities have been like, okay, great, you know, take an ice bath. And it's like, yes, but where does it fit where in? Where does it fit right? in? Exactly. Fit you can, in? I mean, honestly, dude, again, these, they're called hormetic stressors because, again, Cold stress. plunge and heat—they're stressors, right? Like if, if I spend ten minutes in the sauna or do a quick cold plunge, that can have a beneficial effect from that hormetic small dose of stress that causes these things to happen. But if I sit in the sauna for an hour and I'm dehydrated, or I do cold plunges excessively, or I do it right after I train, like tend to inflammation that I actually needed to cause the signaling right. to, ha- exactly. to happen, then you can have the opposite impact yeah. uh, effect. So I think I would just say a have a framework right know why you're doing something and where it fits in and then pay attention to details right like read the protocols maybe that you find that people say are working and self-experiment and try different protocols but don't just kind of like look at something on social media and then do that every day for the rest of your life you need to have a little more uh, Uh, filtering than that read stuff from experts you know what I mean because I mean the thing is it doesn't have to you don't have to go like I mean if you want to you can go down a rabbit hole but for me it wasn't even stuff like you know I would go to Banya like on Sundays right it was just like that was my recovery day right and, and instead of going like I'm going to smash a hard workout then go to the cold plunge and kind of take those effects away it's just you made a great point where it's just like you know in, in nutrition I say one of the first habits that's most important is plan prepare cook 
right? Because that sets you up for Absolutely. like the other stuff, right? Yeah. And to me, like even with recovery, I take the same thing: plan, prepare, cook. Like, where are you going to put it in, and why? Like, what, what's the goal? You got your purpose, right? right? You're, do everything you in your life. For the, I mean, this is you know bigger lesson, but yeah. have a purpose to what you're doing, whether it's the job you have, the person you're with, the the training program you're on. Yeah. Like, do it deliberately. Don't just kind of like run out of time and throw something in front of you and think that's probably the best option. Probably not. So yeah, whether it's recovery, peptides, nutrition, supplementation, it, it needs to be, uh, you know, needs to be something that's got some validity behind it, mm-hmm. and, and ultimately it's about self-experimentation, as you and I know. Yeah. You try shit out. You see how it works. If it works great. Keep doing it. Do more. If, if it doesn't work, then figure out why. Just discard it. Try something new. Yeah. And there's different stuff that you can. It's not like we got two these two things, right? But, have it, but again, if you have this this idea of the framework around it and then you know which bucket these things fall into right. and you know how they interact, then it's much easier to do that. So let's say I want to try out some supplement. Well, maybe I try the supplement, but my sleep has been terrible because I'm stressed out my mind. I'm like, oh, this supplement's worthless. Maybe that supplement, if you weren't sleep out and stressed out your mind, would have had a much exactly. bigger effect. Or maybe you had taken a different supplement that would have helped offset that. It would have been much more effective. So you can't treat these things as, as in complete silos. They're, they're not in isolation. Uh, your environment impacts your nutrition, your nutrition impacts your environment, and, and all of these things interact. And uh, which actually leads us to the last one, which is the, probably one of the most important ones, right? Which is S, which is sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and one, I mean, like at this point in time, I think everybody understands the importance of it. I, while I feel that everybody understands the importance of it, I still see, you know, on a day to day basis with clients that I work with, that while they understand the importance of it, they don't put enough purpose in changing that but for me when I change you know I, my story is that like you know I, I slept three or four hours a night because I was a maniac, you know. maniac, maniac workaholic you know and that now I mean then I sleep a full seven and a half eight every night now but when I made that change I mean it was like me going on steroids or something I mean it was it was yeah. such a dramatic what do you know yeah you <laughs> know it works you know, so, Who would have guessed that? But I think that there is, it's such an important point because you know kind of like pulling those levers of you know, you get an hour and a half, hour more sleep. You know, it might take you some time to get there. And then for, I don't know, take, take somebody's A-type personality training really hard five, six days a week, you'll get better results pulling back, doing two days a week of lower intensity rebound stuff, right? Yeah. You, pull, you pull those levers and that's how you, you know, optimize. And each one of those buckets, you go in there and you go like, hold, oh, like my environments are shit, okay? Let's pull some levers here, right? Like. My training, am I doing too little? Or for some people, I'm doing too much, right? Like, and sleep is one of those things that, again, there's been whole shows on it. I know you've talked about it a ton. Um, but look, the reality of it is, is, you know, I don't know if you, if you went into like three different things, uh, you know, three big rocks that you feel like are uh, important for somebody to improve their sleep. Like, yeah. what would they yeah, look, like, the, stuff, the you know? first one, which is kind of the most obvious and yeah, most important is, to me, your sleep is the summation of all the other ones we just talked about, right? If your environment is super stressful, your training is, is too much, uh, your nutrition is not very good, you're deficient, you're deficient all these different things, like that's gonna impact your sleep tremendously. Like if you have caffeine every night, an hour before you go to bed, and you, yeah. that's your lifestyle, your sleep's gonna suck. So your sleep is really the, the, the culmination. If you get all those things at least sort of good, your sleep's gonna be a million times better than if two or three of them are are really bad and the good thing about it is once you start enabling better sleep all those other things become easier right better sleep allows you to follow your diet more effectively allows you to recover faster from your training it allows you to deal with 
chronic stress and make decisions more effectively. So these things are very reciprocal, but it's really hard to have good sleep when those are all screwed up. I would say that's the number one thing is just keep that perspective in mind because you can try all these different sleep strategies, mm. but again, if your nutrition is terrible and you're, and you're living on stimulants and all these sort of things, you're gonna have a hard time getting good sleep. So that's number one. Number two is I would say the environment in your bedroom makes a really big difference. So I, I bought a cabinet up the mountains a few years ago and then and I slept downstairs in a room that had no windows. Oh, and man. it was, I, I it was slept you, know, you slept there. I mean, it, it, is, hours, like, it is a dungeon uh, yeah. because there's just no light, there's no noise, it's cold. Like it is the perfect sleeping environment. So number two is you really do want your bedroom to be as optimized as possible, whether that means spending money for noise deadening blind, whether that means wearing just a night mask, if you, you can't do that, you know, try to make the, the room as soundproof as possible or- Chili or, pad, yeah. not sponsored by the way, but- We uh, should be, yeah. yeah. <laughs> use, use these, I mean, look, if you're gonna spend, how much money people spend in a car? You, how much, your car's $100,000. Yeah, it's, it's right? a lot, it's a lot. If you're, if you're spending $100,000 on your car, your mattress should cost more than 500 bucks, okay? You should get a good high quality mattress and there's never been more options out there than are now. You should get really good bedding and blankets and pillows and if you need to have AC installed, like a mini split or something because your room's too hot, like invest in your bedroom's environment and make it the most comfortable, damn place to sleep ever because it's where you spend the third of your life. Yeah. So I think people will prioritize things that aren't going to have nearly the same benefit to their health, their life, their training, everything else financially, and then they'll just, you know, get by with some sheets they buy at Costco. No offense to Costco. I actually love Costco. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, Feathered Friends for pillows and uh, yeah, comforts, so I, I amazing, like there's so many online bedding companies. I, yeah, use Helix, that, I don't Helix know what the, you have. Helix yeah. is the best bed. Yeah, I, I, I got a sleep number, man, and it was... It's uh, night and day. It was a game. Now, here, I'll tell you guys a little secret. Yeah. Actually, this is not a secret anymore. Uh, nowadays, like a lot of these these new online direct consumer bed companies, you know Casper and Purple, all these ones, you can order them, and if they suck, send it back. Send it back, yeah. or or sometimes don't send it back. But <laughs> Amazon used to kind of have this policy too, where you order a bed from Amazon, if you didn't like it, you would just tell me you like it, and they would take it back. So don't be afraid to go spend money on a mattress. Spend whatever you can afford to spend. I'm not saying go broke, but honestly, there are a lot worse things to spend your money on. Uh, so get a really good, comfortable bed. And, you know, I have a three hundred dollar pillow. So what? It's the best damn pillow yeah, I can R-Y find to buy, right? Hill high. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you can buy $1,000 comforters. I'm not saying it's not all a money game, yeah. uh, but it's it's investing in your health and that is in the form of sleep. So optimize your lifestyle, then optimize your bedroom. And then I would say last but not least is really habits and, and having routines. And it's really hard to have good sleep cycles when your routines are all over the place. And you go to bed at 10 o'clock one night and then 2 o'clock, 2 a.m. the next morning and then you have this weekend schedule and this weekday schedule. Your circadian rhythm works the best when it's in a Same. very yeah. you know pattern cycle. So it takes some discipline. It takes some some uh, focus. But if you can go to bed and wake up at the same time every morning, it's going to have a really beneficial, big benefit on your, your sleep. So I would say those are the three things that I would would hone in on. And I, I mean, you know, to me, it's like if you listen to the show, it's like. Putting down like one thing that you're like, all right, look, I'm gonna work on this, right? Because even if in each pocket and you take away uh, therapeutics and, and you know, and, but you improve each one of those, like over the course of months, like you're, I mean, even sooner than that. But I'm saying over the course of months, like you're gonna see a dramatic change. Yeah, absolutely. And if you if you if you're sitting there going like, look, I want to be you know, fit and healthy and have the best immune system, you know, all the stuff that's happened in the last years, and go like, look, I I want to feel very very good about 
whatever happens, like I'm, I'm good, I'm resilient to this stuff, right? Yep. You gotta start working on it now and, and, and look at like, who am I gonna become in the next year? What's the purpose behind yep. the stuff you're, that you're doing? I think you're gonna look at all of this stuff the same way you look at training, right? Like, yeah, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't not train for my whole life and then go in the gym and, and a week later be a power lifter playing world records, mm-hmm. right? It's process and it's gonna take time. So all the things we talked about, whether it's improving your sleep, whether it's uh, improving your metabolic function, optimize for that, and whether it's getting a diet really dialed that works well for these things take time. Like the, the, this all be things you're constantly working on. You're constantly looking at what can I improve here? What can I improve there? It's, it's these little incremental gains and it's the constant striving to better yourself through these different mechanisms that gets you down the road and gets the end result. But if you've spent 10 years, you know, walking that direction, you can't turn around and two weeks later expect to be back where you started or, or better, it, it takes time. So um, whether it's, again, trying out a new diet or new supplements, don't be impatient, give yourself some time and then have a way to evaluate progress. You yeah, know? you gotta have some way to track. You I mean, way to track. The, obviously like, I'm a big fan of Morpheus, we use it here. Um, you know, whether you're tracking resting heart rate, some HRV, and seeing whether your fitness level is Yeah, have, have some metrics. Some metrics. You know, and, and then also, for whatever it may be. You know, look, look at the external factors. How do you feel? I mean, how much energy do you have? Are you, are you having to just rely on coffee five times a day to get to the day, or do you have enough energy with, without those things? Uh, you know, how is your sleep? That is a very good indicator. If I'm sleeping really well, it probably means everything else is, is very well dialed in. Uh, am I making progress in the gym? Like, am I making gains in whatever it is I'm trying to? Develop is my endurance getting better? If I'm working that end, am I getting stronger? Um, you know, am I getting sick frequently? Am I am I getting injured all the time? These are all indicators, right? Your body will tell you what's going on if you just pay attention to it and and, and sit back and realize these things are happening for a reason, good yeah. or bad. So again, don't don't set goals and then have not you know buoys on a way to measure those goals and to see if you're improving. I mean, it's such a basic thing but the truth is it's still so much yeah so many times it's like i'm checking my reps and my weight going up but okay what about these other things yeah and i'll tell you something i started doing uh not i've been done off and on but now i'm just religiously committed to it is weighing myself every morning uh and it's very intuitively obvious why it should be beneficial but yeah. i probably wouldn't have weighed it as much as as i do now because it's feedback of how my nutrition my training, the stressors, like how they impacted me from a physiological standpoint. Obviously, I know there's variation in, in the water and glycogen, so I know that my weight's going to vary. I'm not trying to hit the exact target every day, but just it keeps you on point. And if you're trying to gain weight and gain muscle, it keeps you from doing too much, too, much, too yeah. many calories and just overdoing it. If I'm trying to lose weight, it is the truth meter, right? Am I actually losing weight or am I just depleting myself of water and then regaining it every other day? So I think weighing yourself is it's valuable because it, it's a very important kind of general status of, of what your body's doing. I'm either accumulating mass or I'm reducing it. Now I can't look at the scale and know how my body composition is changing, um, but I should be able to know that from what I'm doing in the gym and how I look. So I just think it's a really simple habit. It takes 30 seconds. I go into Google Sheet and I track it. Uh, and I'm doing it for months and months. I look at that, my heart rate variability, my resting heart rate. And these are three really th- easy things to measure. It takes me less than five minutes, and I've got a really good compass of the direction I'm going. And I learn a lot as I try these strategies out, right? Try some new one, non-exercise terminal stressors, uh, you know, try new dietary things, try new training, wh- whatever I'm trying, like, they're gonna impact all three of those. And I think there's a, there's a huge value of, you know, what you're talking about is experimentation and not getting emotionally attached to, 
like the scale weight, right? Because yeah. actually, it's funny because we never talked about this, but I've been doing it for a long time. And really, yeah. what I've been doing, like, I lose on average like two point eight pounds per night yeah. when I sleep. Like, it's yeah. Like, you like, wear yourself, once you get to know, you can wear yourself at night. Like, oh, I think it'll be this. Yeah, like, exactly. And, and, and I see how you know what I do, how it affects me. So it's more like I'm it, I'm learning about myself more than anything else. Yeah, that's to me. That's the journey of self discovery through life is the most important one because you are unique like your journey and your genetics and your environment are different than mine so we're each going to have to learn about ourselves in that process and we react to things differently so it's it's good to go online and get ideas oh this is working for luca oh this is working for what you know whatever coach says this works for the people he works like, it's really good to get that evidence from experience of other people but that doesn't mean shit yeah you got for you you've got mm-hmm. to do it yourself and you've got to find out i think that's one of the problems with with social media is if people see someone else doing something and think that's immediately what they need to do like that's immediately what's going to work for them and it might be the exact opposite of what they need yeah uh, particularly i said social media is personal trainer strength coach bias on strength and that's reinforcing as you get on there um i'm but, sure i'm sure as i cut some, cut some of these clips out we'll, we'll put them out there just to, <laughs> just to poke yeah. some folks um, but you know what? The, I mean, again, this is good. Like, I, I you know, most people uh, have not heard this, and it's going to be like a, well, hold up, I didn't know that. Uh, so I, you know, and I like, listen, dig in, and uh, if your goal is what we're talking about, which I think everybody, in the grand scheme of things, is especially as you're, you're older and you've been through some stuff, and you're like, man, listen, like I want to not be beat up. I want to have a good immune system. Yeah, I want to be strong, have muscle, and this stuff. Like. I don't want to be unhealthy and feel yeah, like shit. Like, look, nobody wants to feel like shit. Yeah, no, I think the, the good news, I think, is you know, I, I talked about. I surveyed my, my email list, which is you know, a good amount of people, and asked them to rank their primary goal: uh, health, longevity, performance, or body composition. Right? I think years ago it would have been belly, body. Like I want to look a certain way. I want to fit these clothes. I want to look good in a bathing suit or whatever. But that was number three now, and number one was health and longevity, and performance was number two. So yeah. I do think there's been, you know, if maybe COVID had one sort of good effect, maybe it was just making people more aware of the importance mm-hmm. of their health and paying more attention to it and starting those discussions. So, you know, I, I hope that that continues. It's the direction that we should go. And I think if you're a fitness professional and you're not looking at health first and you're, you're still kind of in the, the bodybuilding mentality, you're gonna have a hard time as, as this uh, profession does progress more towards a health centric, health focused uh, mindset. So that's that's where I think we need to be going. And, and all signs are saying we are going that way. So that's that's good. Yeah. No, I think it's great. I think it's great. On that note, hold up. Are we? The launch hasn't come yet, correct? No, but okay. the launch is coming November seventh. So this is dropping. Probably before that. So we look at is there a website that they can go to yet? Eight weeks out, you'll have everything on precision metabolics on eight weeks out. Um, eight weeks out.com. Eight weeks with number eight. Not precisionmetabolics.com yet, but that'll be uh, shortly. Um, yeah, I'm really excited about it. Like I said, our, I, this, I, you know, I'm still on a supplement, but I'm telling you that your lifestyle dictates your need for that. So you should focus on your lifestyle first and foremost and use this to make up the gaps. But what we do, we take your uh, we take basically a lab test that happens at home. You don't have to go in and get a blood draw. That lab test analyzes all your metabolic markers. It looks at different uh, ways you digest carbs, protein, and fat. It looks at the mitochondrial health. It looks at inflammation, antioxidant. It looks at all these different things of metabolism without getting too far in the weeds. And it shows us where we can optimize. So it shows us specific nutrients, specific dosages, and combinations thereof that can improve your own metabolic function. And then, like I said, we add that second layer in of specific, you know, ergogenic boosters and things that we know that have been proven through through evidence and research 
to have a, a measurable benefit from you taking those things. So once we have that, we manufacture it. Like we are making the supplement from scratch. Our manufacturers literally compounding it, putting it together and mixing it all together and putting it in capsules and putting it in a bottle. Individualized it for Individualized you. So I've seen other companies that just like have you fill out a quiz and they put specific vitamins in your packet. Like that's not custom. That's just mm-hmm. vitamins in the packet. Uh, we are actually making the formulation, small batch manufacturing. So we will, again, compound everything you need, put it in bottles, encapsulate it, and ship it to you every month. So it's one supplement to rule them all. And the biggest thing is it's it's your own formulation based on your own biochemistry. You don't have to go out and buy three, four, five, ten bottles of different stuff, figure out what the right dosages are, remember to reorder them when you get low, figure out who's got the best price or the best quality. We are manufacturing the whole thing from scratch for you. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. Uh, I don't think it's ever been done. I, uh, I think we're it. the first one well, you know who's going to have its own bottle. But here's the other thing too, like I, you know, and I can't say enough, obviously, look, go to eightweeks.out.com because it's not like what Joel does is like, this is a solution for something that people need, but like the education of what we talked about today. And of course, you know, this guy's the number one guy in the world for conditioning, but it's is beyond that, like what it's turning into. It's the education to where you're like, damn, like this is what this does and this is how I need it. And also the practical aspect of this is how you can apply it. So um, I think that, you know, the benefit of that is is like, man, people don't understand. Them. So many times I push people to go there. The the amount of education that you drop in on your email, even on just your email list. I mean, these last, last weeks, I mean, it's just like, you know, literally master classes on on writing your own conditioning programs on health and longevity, metabolic, uh, I'll say optimization. So go go and check it out and like sign up for everything. Trust because you're gonna learn so much. It's not even funny. But um, man, you already know we could go for forever. But good, yeah. as always, brother, thank you for being on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure you check it out. We'll be back next week with another episode of Figure Life Podcast. And peace out.